Good morning. Good to be here with you. Brendan has been knocking on our door the last weeks and um, really urging us to, to live lives where uh, not only um, are we knowing Jesus, but we're making him known by how we live. And, and uh, on Christmas Eve, how many of you are here for Christmas Eve? He was talking about this concept that we're not just saved from something, but we're saved for something. And I really want to talk with you this morning about what's going to be the difference in 2016, which I can't believe. On my walk yesterday, I'm walking and I'm thinking it was 2016. And I I hadn't put this together. I graduated from high school in 1975. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that I've been out of high school for 40 years. I, I almost just collapsed there on the path. It's like, wow, here is 2016, but... You know, as the years roll by, we should see an ongoing sense of the Lord working in and through us in a way it makes a difference. And I I really want to talk with you about that. Like, what is 2016 going to look like in in your world where, where he's operating and where you can really make a difference? And in order for us to do this, we need to realize that we're not saved just from something. That's true. But we're saved for something. And you start to realize as you dig into this that one of the big encounters we need to have with God is, are these ongoing encounters where he reworks our thinking. Because God does things so differently. He really does. Think with me for a moment. If, how many of you have hired people before? Done hiring? Yeah. So you can imagine, and I think others of us can just imagine. So if, if, if you are in charge of starting a religious movement that you want to last through the generations, where, where do you think most people would go to recruit their employees for this religious movement? They, yeah, they'd probably go to seminaries. They, they'd go to universities. They'd go to places where religious training is issued. But what did Jesus do? He goes seaside. He, he gets tax collectors. He gets political rebels to become the, the founding core of his religious movement. It's mind-blowing. Think if, if you wanted to uh, begin uh, the, your religious movement and what you wanted to do was you wanted to transfer hundreds of thousands, yea, maybe millions of people to another place where this religious movement could take root, would you hire a fugitive? One who's wanted for murder. How many would hire a fugitive wanted for murder person? I didn't think so. But the guy that we'll talk about today, God hired. Moses. If you wanted... Now your religious movement's caught fire and as, as it's going along and you wanted someone to begin to put down a manual that would help others who would come later to join this movement, would you recruit a member that was leading the opposition to your movement? Someone like in today's world that would look like they're leading ISIS or some other terrorist group. What does God do? He hires Saul, who becomes Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. 
That's wild, isn't it? If, if you wanted to hire someone to be the face of your organization, because that's so important, because, you know, with, with media today, who's going to be the face of our organization? Would you hire someone who publicly and miserably failed not just once, not just twice, three times? Would you hire that person to become the face of your organization? God did. Peter. And you begin to realize that the way that God works is amazing because what he does is he hires the unlikelies. And it speaks to us because if we're honest, we're a bit unlikely. And the point that he's trying to make is that one person can make a difference if Christ has made a difference in them. Every single one of you is a difference maker. And I was thinking more about this and I thought, you know, what we need to do is, uh, is to get ourselves some jackets called the unlikely impossibles and start off motorcycle gang. Wouldn't that be cool? Just, we wouldn't want to come in the parking lot today on the bikes, right? But what we are in this movement now is we're the unlikely impossibles. We're, we're God's team, but it's, it's so unlikely. And as we think about, the, about that Christ would make a difference in us, sometimes people go, well, I don't feel, Mark, like I'm... I'm that different or that I'm making the difference I need to. And, and that's why I think it's important to pick this up this morning and to dig into it. Because in order for us to do this, we have to think differently than how we normally think. And we have to think differently than what goes on in the planet. And we have to get comfortable with one thing in particular. We have to get comfortable with messes. We just have to embrace messes because messes is where God starts. Think about the Bible. Is there any place where God starts where everything is in neat, orderly fashion? No. Every place God starts after the big mess in the garden is always messy. And he's always starting with messy people. And it's just a mess. And he's like, that's where I'm going to start. And so this morning, to help you remember this, I'm going to use the old preaching tool of giving you an acronym, MESSY. And we're going to walk through this. Now, pause for a moment and, th- and think with me because th- now we're talking about being a difference maker. And we're talking about that difference making happens when Christ works in us and through us. We go, yep, I got that. But th- then usually what happens is there's, there's two things that hit us that derail the movement of God in our life. And the first one is we go, man, Mark, you have no idea how big a mess I am. No idea. I was watching when Brennan was preaching last Sunday. Do you remember the sermon? And he was talking about being known. And he was saying, man, if you can't be known here, where can you? And if you can't bleed here at the hospital, where can you? And the more that he drilled into that, I was watching y'all, because sometimes I just, I won't watch the kid, I'll watch you. And I saw a lot of this. Got to move this. I saw a lot of wiggling. And the more Brennan got gone, the more I saw some of you wiggle. 
And if I'm honest, I was wiggling too. It's like, he gets. Because sometimes it's fine to be known to a certain degree where you still feel like you have control. Do you know what I mean? I'll let them know that. But they're not going to get the whoppers. Because they get the whoppers, holy cannoli. But the reality is, is that really, we, we sing amazing grace. Is it not true? Amazing grace. And, and, and the modern vernacular for a wretch like me is a mess like me. And I'm here this morning as, as we're starting to dig at your thinking about this idea of being known and being used and Christ working in and through you to be a difference maker. I'm here to tell you that if you are a mess, you qualify. Because the book's about a bunch of messes getting made right. Right? It's a messy book about messy things and God using messy people. And then the other thing that that derails, if, if it's not our own idea about who we are or how we are, it's when we look at something, we go, oh, that's too big of a mess. It might be one that we caused and we feel like it's a big oil spill in our life. How am I going to clean this up? It could be something else that is surrounding us. Family issues, work issues, neighborhood issues. It could be school issues, all kinds of issues. We just go, whoo, it's too big. Is there anything too big for God? And see, our thinking has to get turned around. So the first thing that I want you to realize is that God starts with a mess. We run from him. God runs to him. We hide him. He pulls him out. We like to cover him up. He likes to reveal him. Not because he wants to embarrass us, but because he wants to show off that I am the Lord of messes. And when I show up, the mess changes. He loves messes. And so just like when you're sitting around the room and it's AA, and I've been in those meetings, and I've gone through those steps, and I know those things, you got to start by saying, I'm Mark Spencer, and I'm a mess. Okay. Then let's get busy. And the character that we're going to pick up today, he's a mess too. In fact, Things are going real bad for this character, Moses. He thought he knew what he was here for and had this growing sense. He grew up in a strange house in a strange land with strange customs, but he was getting familiar. And and you know the story where all of a sudden he he watches this Egyptian uh, overseer mistreat some of the people he now realizes are his people And he takes matters into his own hands and he kills an Egyptian. And the scripture says, and Pharaoh found out, when the king finds out, he's got resources and he's going to come looking for you. And so Moses flees. His life's a mess. And when, when, when things implode like that, when things go sideways like when things get turned over like that, you know, there's Moses and he's tending the flock. And I imagine he's glad to be bored. This is the most powerful man in the world who's pursuing him. So I imagine he was a little paranoid too, looking over his shoulders. 
I remember my drug running days, always looking over my shoulder, always being paranoid about who's watching me, who knows. So I think Moses is glad to be out in the field, away from people, alone. But what's happening to Moses is, is he living his call? Is he stepping into the difference that God wants to make in his life? No, he's just surviving. He's, he's just holding on. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not called to just tread water. We are called to make waves. We are. And here is Moses in, in the field, and he's just thinking, oh, uh, I'm just so glad that I'm out of this. You see, he's running away, but now enter God. You see, what God's going to do is he's going to step into the situation. He's not afraid of Moses' mess. He comes into it. Pharaoh doesn't know where Moses is. God does. And he comes knocking. And, and, and so what happens, he says, when, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look because this bush is burning, and, and there in the area that Moses is, I mean, those bushes spontaneously catch fire infamously dry area, very hot. And so the bushes would catch fire spontaneously. That's not unusual. What Moses notices is that the bush doesn't burn itself out. And as he goes over, all of a sudden he's going to have a God encounter. Your mess is usually God's doorway into your life. Think about this. How embarrassing would it be for Chuck Colson, this huge heavyweight in Washington, D.C., to get busted, his life turned upside down? What, what does God do with Chuck Colson in the most embarrassing moment in his life? What does he do? He starts a prison ministry. What? What about Bill Wilson, the founder of AA? He himself was an alcoholic. And his story is embarrassing. What does God do in Bill Wilson's life? He turns it around so that he makes a difference. And the mess becomes the doorway of God. You guys know enough of my story that I'm the most unlikely pastor I think there is around. I remember when I came to Christ in 1980 at St. Olive College. And... Um, I, did, I, I had prayed. I had a dramatic encounter with God. And um, it had been about a week. And I was sitting in my office there in Ellington Hall at St. Olaf College. And I, as I get up out of my chair, I, I heard this voice say, start a Bible study. I heard it really clearly. So clearly I turned around and kind of thought, that's weird. And I went, uh, I'm just going to keep going. And I walked through the door. And as I walked through the door, I heard it again. I thought, this is really weird. Honestly, you guys, I looked in the closet because I thought someone was gagging me. What's, what's going on here? And I thought, oh, I don't know. So then I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm, I'm eating breakfast and as I'm eating breakfast, I hear it again, start a Bible study. And by this time, you know, I think, okay, maybe this is God. So I laughed. I said, God, do you know who you're talking to? I don't know anything about the Bible. The only thing I know about the Bible is that it's black and some guy named King James wrote it. Re revealing my immense knowledge about the scripture. And so the, the Lord just kept hounding me. 
You know, and I'm thinking, my life's a mess. I'm a recovering drug addict. I'm a new Christian. I don't know. You want me to start a Bible study? So finally, I muster enough courage to put down this three by five note card on the lower fire exit in the basement of the building that no one ever uses it. Bible study in the head res apartment Tuesday night, seven o'clock. I think there, there, there you go. Tuesday night rolls around, 47 students are packed in my apartment. Can you say cardiac arrest? You see, God's entering my mess. He's stepping in. He said, do you see now? Do you see? And oftentimes when we're not encountering God, people, it's because we're hiding our mess. And that's the doorway of God usually in our life. And we think, I'll get to that sometime, God. I'll, I'll fix that sometime. But God says, let's, let's open it up. Let's open it up. Let's have at it. It's my doorway. That's challenging enough. But the challenges grow because what happens is, when God steps in, he has a God-sized call in your life. You see, what, what God says is, he says, hey, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This God-sized deal. Can you imagine? Moses, he's thinking, whew. You know, he didn't say anything about me killing that guy, but holy cannoli, he's sending me back. Back there. I mean, a conservative biblical historian will say hundreds of thousands of people You think it's hard to get your family on vacation or together for Christmas? You try to take a bunch of slaves who have never been free out. It's a hostile territory to a promised land that you don't really know where you're going for sure. It's a God-sized deal. You see, it's one thing for us to say, okay, here's the mess, Lord. Especially when the Lord shows up in the middle of your mess. If you notice when that happens, oh. I didn't realize you were in my dark closet. How'd you get here? I'm God, you know. We shouldn't be surprised. There he is. But then once he starts conversing with you, he says, listen, I got something I want to do through you. And you're like, that? That? Now, to be sure, I want you to understand that not all of us are going to go to Egypt to deliver the Israelites out of there. Not all of us are going to have that massive call. Sometimes the call of God seems pretty simple, but it seems impossible to you. Like walking across the room to introduce yourself to a new person. And you think, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. Good. That's your impossible call. He wants to do it with you. He wants to work through you. Can I get an amen? Probably not. You're looking at me like, mm. isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Sometimes we think it's got to be this great thing. You know, I'm going to go deliver, you know, these people that are, because slavery, there's more slaves on the planet now than ever before in the history of man. It's a huge problem in the world. And sometimes you think, oh, it's got to be this massive call. Sometimes it's this simple call, but, and it seems so impossible to us, we let it go. Because it seems so simple, but yet it's beyond us. And that's where God is saying, hey, come with me to talk to this person. 
And God forbid if the Lord say, invite him over for lunch. Whoo! He what? But you see, if our mind is beginning to be renewed and transformed, then if we begin to think like God thinks, then the response to this is that, I, of course, I can't just do it, but God and I can do it. And you see, when God and you do it, then you realize there is a God who's alive in me making a difference to you. And then it's only possible if you do yes. You say yes to that call. Nate, I want you to walk across and I want you to say hi to this person you've never seen before. And you're like, okay, here goes. You have to say yes. You have to say, okay. That's the sweetest word to God. Yes. Yes. In all the battles that we fight, this is a sticking point. Because we think about, we get caught in our messy world, and then we think about the size of this call. And Moses represents us so well about when we're fighting with saying yes. Because this is what Moses does. He does what we do too. He comes up with all kinds of reasons why. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Who am I? Who am I should walk across the room and say hi to this new person? Does it really matter, God? Who am I? Who am I? What does it matter? He also says, in, in Exodus 3, verse 13, he says, what if, what if they say, no, you didn't hear God. You don't know God. Who are you? So he does that, you know. So we say to ourselves, what we say is, well, I'm not, I'm not quite ready spiritually for that yet, Lord. I don't know if I have that spiritual gift. I don't know if I've got that skill set. Did we do the Moses thing? And then in, in Exodus 4, he's saying, well, Lord, what if they don't believe me? And that's when the Lord it says to him, he says, what's that in your hand? Well, it's a staff. Throw it down. Presto, changel. I mean, that would be a freaky deal. What the Lord is communicating is, he says, I will use the ordinary everyday things that you have and I will use them in supernatural ways if you give them to me. Do you believe that? You need to think differently. Sometimes the most providential, divine, spiritual thing you can do is take a meal to a person. Have you noticed that? Have you done that? Especially if it's a good meal. You see, all of these things, he says, who am I? He said, I don't speak well, I'm slow of speech. What if they don't believe me? What if, what if, what if? God doesn't get angry. At that point in time, where God gets angry with Moses is there in 313 when Moses says plainly, send somebody else. He uses this word in the Hebrew. It says, the Lord's anger burned. God got hot. You see, we need to realize that since the beginning of time, you're chosen. God has handpicked you. 
He's created you for this time. You're not a mistake. It's not coincidental that you're here now. It's, it's, it's by divine design. It's by a sovereign mind. It's by the creative mind of God that from the beginning of time, he looked down the scope of time and said, during this time, the years 2000-something, I'm going to have these people here in the worlds that they live, and I'm going to give them these certain gifts and these certain capacities, and I want them to make a difference. Because if they're with me, if I'm in them, if they say yes, you will. You'll make a difference to that coworker. You'll make a difference to that neighbor. You'll make a difference to that kid. You'll make a difference to that person. You'll make a difference to that family member. If you go where he sends you to go and you realize he's with you, you're chosen for now. You and I are living Esthers. You were born for such a time as this. I've had it with elections. I bet you have too. People say, I can't believe Trump's in the lead. I said, I can believe it. You know why? Because people are tired of rhetoric. They're tired of just all these comments that people say, the politicians saying one thing and then doing another. I'm not trusting politicians. I'm not trusting Social Security. I'm not trusting social services. I'm trusting God Almighty to make a difference in my life so I can make a difference in my world. Join me. Make a difference. Yes, vote. Yes, vote wisely. (laughs) That's all I'll say. But God wants to send you. He says, I'm sending you. You guys go to places I'll never go. You see people I'll never see. You have conversations I'll never be in. God says, I'm going to go with you. I'll be with you in that moment. I'm sending you to make a difference. Just Moses, no. Moses and God, yes. Just Mark, no. Mark and God, yes. Just you, no. You and God, yes. That's the whole point. But we have to think differently, don't we? We have to think like Bob did. Bob is perhaps my favorite preaching story. Bob is an everyday guy. But he began to think differently when he became a Christian. He's an insurance salesman, and he met Jesus. And his friend Doug began to mentor him, and Doug gave him a Bible. Bob said, what should I read? And he said, well, someone told me to read the red. Why don't you read the red? Just read the red. You ever hear that? They get one of those by, you know. So he just read the red. And one day he was reading the red, and this is what he read. That's hard to say. (laughs) Ask whatever you will in my name, and you shall receive it. And Bob closed the book, and he didn't know how to think about that. He opened the book again, and he said, ask whatever you will in my name and you'll receive it? So Bob called Doug. He said, hey, I'm, I'm reading the red like you said. And as I'm reading the red, it says, ask whatever you will in my name and you'll receive it. Is that true? And this is a scary moment for mentors. <laughs> Teachers, pastors. So Doug takes a deep breath. He goes, well, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in the context of the whole scriptures. I can hear myself saying this. But, but yes, it's really true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great! 
said, Bob, I'm going to start praying for something big, like Africa. Doug was like, wow, that's kind of a broad target. You might want to just narrow that down. Bob thought for a moment. He goes, okay, I'll pray for Kenya. Doug says, do you know anybody in Kenya? No. Ever been to Kenya? No. I just want to pray for Kenya. Okay, said Doug. I'll tell you what. He had this brainstorm. It's kind of an unusual agreement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing happened, Doug would pay him $500. Now, if you make a deal with a pastor, it's 50 cents. But (laughs) Doug had more money. 500 bucks. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. Kind of a weird deal. We're not doing this for the week of encounter. (laughs) But Bob began to pray, and for a long time, nothing happened. And then one night, he was at this dinner in Washington, and the people on the table were explaining what they did for a living. And the one woman sitting kitty corner from her said she ran an orphanage in Kenya. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and fly away, but he couldn't keep quiet. So he started asking all these questions, and the woman says, you're obviously very interested in my country. Have you been to Kenya before? No. Do you know anyone in Kenya? No. Then how come you're so curious? He said, well, someone's kind of praying me $500 to pray for Kenya. (laughs) Then she asked Bob, she said, do you want to come to Kenya and visit the orphanage? Bob said, yeah. So when Bob arrived in Kenya... He was appalled at the poverty and the lack of basic health care. So when he got back to Washington, he began to contact pharmaceutical companies and told them about the need that he saw. And he said, listen, if you've got extra medical supplies, why don't you send them to this orphanage in Kenya? Well, at at year's end, the orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters you wrote. We'd like to fly you back over to Kenya so we can have a big party. Will you come? Bob said, yes. So he flies over to Kenya. And while he's in Kenya, the president of Kenya is there because it's Kenya's largest orphanage. So he came to the celebration. And when Bob is mingling with people, he meets the president of Kenya. And the the Kenyan president says, would you like to take a tour of Nairobi with me? Bob says, yes. So he's riding along with the president of Kenya. And as they're going through, he sees a prison with prisoners in it. And he says, why are those people in jail? And he says, well, they're political prisoners. And Bob says to the president, well, that's a bad idea. You should let them go. That's all he said. Bob gets back to the United States. He's there for a day and he gets a call. Bob? Yes? This is the United States government. Yes? Were you recently in Kenya? Yes? Did you make any statements about political prisoners? Yes? What did you say? Well, I told the president he should let them out. The State Department officials said they've been working through political channels for years trying to get those prisoners released to no avail. Normal diplomatic workings did not maneuver those prisoners to their freedom. It was when Bob said, let my people go. So the government was calling Bob to say thank you. (laughs) The story keeps going. Remember, this is an ordinary, everyday insurance agent who's a new Christian. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. Bob, yes. 
I don't know what his name is. This is the president. I want you to know I'm, I'm going to be sitting in a new cabinet of advisors. And I would like you to come to Kenya, if you would, and pray for each one of them as I set them in. Bob said yes. And he did. People, if Bob can do it, you and I can. Did Bob make a difference? Yes. Can we make a difference? Yes. It's all about how we think about that difference making. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for 2016 now. I pray for each one of us, myself included. I'm tired of reading the news. I'm tired of hearing the radio. I'm tired of seeing the TV, catching the computer screen, telling me how my world is falling apart. You are still the Redeemer. You are still the Lord. And you're still the one who changes people from inside out. Lord, would you start with us here and now so that when we go out there, we make a difference. So as we ready ourselves for the offering, we want to offer our whole lives. Just as the apostle calls that this is your reasonable act of worship, that you would be a living sacrifice, that you would live with me, for me, through me. So our ties, that's great. But our lives, that's greater. Take them, Lord, in a new way. And this time, next year, on the eve of 2017, may we be talking, celebrating, thanking you for what a difference you've made in our world. In Jesus' name.